Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by Nancy Gianni, the founder of Gigi's Playhouse and mother of Gigi. Welcome, Nancy Gianni. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great. We are so glad to have you on. We, uh, well, thank you. We've followed you for a while on social media and see all the great things that you're doing. Um, you know, learned a little bit about you just through uh, your website and, you know, different things we've seen on social media. But um, we just thought it'd be great to have you on because uh, I actually was talking to someone uh, through a, a Facebook page and he had moved to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and but was from Chicago and had a, a connection with Gigi's. And he was a little lost in Alabama and wasn't sure... Um, you know, what to do. And so it kind of brought to mind that, th- you know, supports aren't everywhere. And so we really wanted to have you on to, to share that. That's so true. For me, it's so wonderful that you are his foundation. He moved into an environment that doesn't have any supports. And that's what most people experience all the time, what he's experiencing right now. Right. And but at his core, he knows that the support should be there. So he immediately reached out asking if anybody, if we knew of any supports, if we knew of, of anything available, because he wasn't, he wasn't receiving the support from even his local branch of anything. Mm. And so I feel like that's a great revolution. Like people are starting to understand that there are, there should be supports out there and there are supports out there. Absolutely. You know, everybody wants to, to be heard and be around people that are the same as them, that have the same issues as them and want to be able to just be able to have that community. I think it's so important. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I live in Chicago as well. I'm actually Northwest suburbs of Chicago, and this is where the first playhouse opened. And um, I obviously opened it when Gigi, after Gigi was born. So Gigi is my youngest. I have four kids. So my oldest is now, 26 and then Gigi just or he's going to be 27 um, and Gigi just turned 21 so I've got I've got Franco who's 20 gonna be 27 Romina she is my niece that we adopted um, when my sister-in-law passed so she's also 27 and then Isabella is 22 and she just graduated from college she is going on to be a physician's assistant and then Gigi's 21 and she's killing it in life she's you know, 21 is so different. Even though you you have these hopes and dreams for your kids, you also have a part of your heart that's protected going, but it's okay if she lives with me for the rest of my life. I'm good with that. I'm ready for this to be okay. So like, even though I, I set her up to be free and independent and be ready to do these things, now that it's happening, that she's fully in love and has this incredible life ahead of her, is gone on the weekends with her boyfriend, like, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I don't know. And my mom told me that too. When, when I started Gigi's Playhouse, she goes, you know, 
you're setting her up to be extremely independent, not her own. I was, and she goes, how are you going to feel about that? I go, I'll worry about that when it happens, but that's what I want. But it, but it is different when it does happen. So yes, she, Gigi, now I wish I knew then what I know now, the life she was going to have. And um, it was when she was one is when I actually, she was actually four months old when I was putting her to bed one night. And that, you know, I was putting her to bed and I felt, you know, she was sleeping. I felt that low muscle tone, you know, just that heaviness that they carry around every single day of their lives. Every day, it's like they have this weight pushing them down, but they're always striving to be up. And I remember pushing her, you know, laying her down and feeling that low muscle tone. And I made a promise to her that night that I was going to change the way the world saw her and all of her friends with Down syndrome. And I remember I put her down and in that moment, I like stopped myself like, well, now what the hell, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? How like, am I going to raise, like at that time, I was like, am I going to raise a million dollars? And, and what is that going to do? Like, what, how am I going to have an impact? Am I going to make her this incredible prodigy? Am I just going to put every ounce of my energy into her? Like, and it was just trying to figure out, okay, I just made this promise. So what does that mean? And the best thing I could think of was to, was to open up the world to her, to let people see their tremendous potential, not in just her, not just grow her as an individual, but show the world the tremendous potential of individuals with Down syndrome. And, and that was, you know, really, I wanted that in my own community too, because I had my other kids and I was so afraid for them. I, you know, when Gigi was born, there was so much negativity around the diagnosis. And like, I just remember the way I was being treated and not in a bad way, but medically, they took good care of me, but we were the cool, fun couple when we got there until we had the baby with Down syndrome. And then we were put in that room. And then, you know, there wasn't the eye contact that we had before. There wasn't the fun. You know, the fun all went away. And we were like, oh, my God. And I just remember they kept sending in the clergy, too. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is she dying? Like, I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that my life was instantly changed. I knew that. Even my friends were saying, I'm sorry about your baby and not, you know, were giving me condolences, not congratulations. And my biggest fear was for my kids. Like, I know I'm going to take care of this girl. I'm going to be okay. But what about my other kids? They're going to feel what I'm feeling right now. And I can't even deal with. So how am I going to explain this to them? So really the first Gigi's too was also for my community so that I could ensure that, that she would be included in my community. And then, you know, we opened that first and it was a Down Syndrome Awareness Center, just bringing that awareness to the beauty and potential in our kids. And it became an education center that now they've grown into 58 achievement centers all across the country. So it's it's been a wild, crazy, awesome ride. And, you know, something everyone said we couldn't do because I'm sure as you guys know, everything we do is free. So all of our programming is free, free one-on-one tutoring and literacy, math speech therapy, fitness programs, career programs, um, social programs, everything, everything is just free. And, and all the consultants would come in and say, it's, it's not sustainable. You won't be able to scale this. You won't be able to get this out there. So that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of is that we were able to prove them all wrong once again. So the, the naysayers out there who would also doubt our kids also doubted me and the tremendous population of parents and believers out there in this world that want to change the world for not only their child, but for everybody, for anybody who may appear to be different. So here we are. 
you know, you talk about that diagnosis and, and the negativity that started just then and how the fun left the room. Uh, it wasn't just the opposite. Isn't that just the opposite? I mean, right, the right. fun, the fun, the fun should increase. I mean, we we know like, it, like our podcast, if we knew then, I mean, if we knew what, where we're at now, man, that diagnosis would have come across so much differently. And, and in fact, if our doctors had known, then it would have been given to us so differently. Yes. And I had this vision. My mom ran our spread group, our religious ed um, for adults through our church. So she ran our spread group at church for years. So, I mean, I grew up knowing, you know, all her, the people in her group. And still, when I got the diagnosis, I thought, like, first I thought I willed it on myself because Terry, which was one of her people, her adults with Down syndrome, who I was in love with, I was like, maybe I, I brought this onto my family because I just, I was obsessed with Down syndrome. I'm like, like I would see somebody with Down syndrome, I would like chase them down. Like that's just, and I did after Gigi was born too. Like, cause I, I was always, so I remember when I was laying there going, oh my gosh, did I like will this on my family? Also, what was my, my picture in my head was like of this 1950s person with Down syndrome with their like bangs cut to hair and tongue sticking out. Why was that the vision in my head? To this day, it bothers me because my mom taught me better. You know what I mean? Like why did that vision come to my head? I don't know. And why it stayed there for so long, but that was why I wanted to change that, that picture. I mean, the first thing we did was an awareness calendar featuring our kids and their beautiful faces. You know, I wanted everybody to remember a different face than what I remembered and a different brochure. Like they sent me something. Jude was born in 2002. And I'm telling you the stuff they showed me was from like early eighties for sure. (laughs) Early eighties. I was like, I am not joining that club. <laughs> yeah, totally. That that picture we've discussed that before. Well, I I think what what you're what you're talking about, and and when you were talking about when you received the diagnosis, it, the the three main fears that parents talk about: Will my child live? What will the impact be? How am I going to do this? And I I I want to inform parents that the 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 misperceptions that were fed to us were like in that 1950s pamphlet driven by the medical community and they created this misperception and then they propagated it and then they they made sure that our our like you know now there are therapies if if your vision was that you saw an individual with a a tongue protruding there are exercises and there are surgeries and there are things that we can do to support our children but what happened was when someone was born with down syndrome there were no therapies given they weren't, engaged. they weren't engaged there wasn't an education they were denied surgeries and died and so this system propagated the belief and then sent it out to society. And then it was on us, you know, and that's what we're given as fact. And that's what we're given as truth. And then it continues to propagate fear. It's all based in fear, not our fears, but society's fears from a long time ago. And, and that becomes the reality. And then when we start to experience this path, it becomes guilt for us because we think, oh my gosh, what, what were my thoughts? And, and we've talked to so many parents that they feel guilty for thinking, I'll never play ball with my son. Um, my child's going to die. My child will have, but, but that was, that was what was given us. And I think that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to change that story. So when individuals 
receive a diagnosis that it is the fun enters the room, the party enters the room, because aside from some of the challenges, the medical challenges that are there, but treatable with supports and surgeries. And, but besides that real fear that every child, every child is susceptible to not just children with an extra chromosome. Besides that, it's like the, the journey is amazing and transforming. And that needs to be the new story because the, uh, we experienced that too. The, we were everybody, Hey, look at the, and then when the diagnosis came, no eye contact, um, condolences. And, and one of the things I, I really like about your vision is that you say, um, it's to see a world where individuals with down syndrome are accepted and embraced in their families, schools, and communities. And I think what strikes me the most, because we, we understand schools because of the lack of inclusion and communities for the same thing, for the misperceptions. But the, the fact that we have such challenges in our families and in our, in our, you know, in our friends, um, I think that is important to talk about because as parents, that's like an unnecessary, it's something that isn't given to other parents. It's something that's discussed. Like you don't compare, you don't, all of these things for a neurotypical child, but the things that are given to us and said to us. Yeah. And a lot of parents had that same 1950s picture in their head too. A lot of grandparents, a lot of families, a lot of friends. Well, you know, when a typical baby's born, they don't, tell you what could go wrong. Maybe your kid will have this, maybe your kid, you know, they're like, enjoy your life. Our kids are born and there's like this laundry list of anything that any other kid, somebody with Down syndrome had sometime in their lifetimes and we're hearing about it. That's a lot to put on a new mom. That is a lot. And I remember they, you know, there's that book of what to expect the first year when you have Down syndrome. Like I started reading that. I'm like, Oh, hell no. Like, I am not reading this book. Like, I remember I put it, I, I was like, I can't. And then, well, because then I was afraid, like, and I'm very much into self-fulfilled prophecy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I put out positives in this world because I expect, you know, I, I will things to happen in my way. And I'm like, I am not going to fill any of this on me. I'm not even going to look at it because I don't want to hear about anything negative. Listen, my other kids could have had other things and I don't want to know. And I remember going back to it a year later going, didn't have that didn't have that, didn't have that, didn't have that, you know, and it also puts the fear into these new parents. And that that's why it's always so important to me, you know, choking, whatever it is. So these parents aren't actually, you know, even starting their kids on food because they're so afraid that they're going to choke that now they're only accelerating, like the process of them having speech issues even worse because they're doing things because they're afraid. And now that, you know, it's just, when I look at all that, um, the stuff that they they do to these parents in the beginning, I'm just like, forget it all. You have a baby. You have a beautiful baby. Take that child home and be the best, you know, be be that parent you are for your other kids. You, you know, our kids need the same thing. They need love. They need guidance. You know, that that's, that's what you need to give them. And just, they need high expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that was always the number one thing I can give, Gigi. I tell every new parent and i'm so blessed to have so many new parents but i tell every new parent who walks into a playhouse you know i, I know our kids are are awesome and adorable and so cute but the harder we are on them the stronger they're going to be don't 
given. Don't put that extra hole in the nipple so that they don't have to suck so hard. Don't make things easy for them because they have to work harder to do what comes naturally to the rest of us. So if we enable them, we're only in, we're hurting them. And I think it's such an important piece for new families to understand that because our kids are the strongest. They're so darn strong. You know, when I look at and they're so determined and their tenacity, like what they're able to do and achieve completely contradicts what you're told, completely contradicts what you're told. So you tend to just, you know, let them get away. No, 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 no. I'm going to be just as hard as you, if not harder on you than the other ones. But then, you know, everything else that they're hearing makes them think that, you know, and, and grandparents, you know, same thing that they need to coddle them and do that. No, 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 no. You need to keep them just as another one of those grandkids and, you know, have those high expectations for them. So I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, the termination rate is where it is because of these, of this same medical, you know, of the, of the prejudice that's out there now. And, and again, here's what you have to think about too, is, is these doctors, you know, we want to get to them in medical school. What they learn about our kids is about, I remember Dr. Shacoin, who runs the adult Down syndrome clinic, he goes, doctors learn about five minutes on Down syndrome. And what they learn, it's not pretty. Mm -mm. It's not pretty. You know, you don't want to say, I want my kid to have that. But then the other time, when do most of those doctors see our kids? When they're sick, in the hospital, not when they're out succeeding in life or leading a dance troupe or, you know what I mean? So they they don't have those opportunities, which is why we need to bring them to them, which is why Gigi's, we are always out there fighting for in, within the medical community, giving them our calendars, whatever it takes because we still have people out there, uh, medical professionals who think our kids don't deserve a place in this world. And I, I just found out, I was meeting, we're opening, uh, they want to open a, a GG's in Australia. They have a 96% termination rate. And she said, it's actually 99 because 3% get through that don't get tested, that, that they don't catch in the test. And it's based all from what she had told me is based on the medical community out there saying, you know, painting the picture of what Down syndrome is, your child won't live past 10, this, you know, all these things that, that just aren't true. And I was just thinking that, you know, ev every parent receives, you know, the 20 week ultrasound. And, and uh, I was just thinking when you said that, because, you know, we've had friends from different areas, and they've been very um, sympathetic at first. And, we don't just receive that, oh, your child has Down syndrome information and how terrible it is. Every parent receives it. So how can we, it. how can we test for it? So how can we not, how can we be surprised when a parent comes up to us with condolences when they've been led to believe that we have just been given the worst news ever? Yeah, they, they, when they got their test, they were rooting that the test didn't come out positive. You know, so, so they're like, well, oh, they're, they're a couple that got a child with Down syndrome. You know, that's, the, that's, we, yeah. that's because of all the fear. We're, I mean, it's, it's all fear. Yes. Right? We've actually had at, at least two instances that pop right to my mind of individuals who were um, pregnant who actually said to me, you know, but luckily um, we're just going to test and make sure that, you know, but luckily everything's okay. Everything's okay. Or, but or luckily. After we've had Liam and, and they go, oh, we've had those tests. And, at, but like, luckily everything's they good. They know Liam and they'll be like, well, we just want to make sure. And I'm like, I know exactly what you're looking to make sure of. And I don't like yeah. your exuberance. Yes. But yeah. it's, And don't tell me. Tell everybody else. Right. I mean, tell, come on. 
but don't tell don't that's rude that's just rude you know and and i you know thank we've had, god he's not going to be like your son yeah <laughs> right right like we actually had someone say but thank god it wasn't down syndrome and i was like uh, hello Oh my God! Do you what is what is the, that? The things that new parents are but getting. But that's fear. That's a fear-driven it's response. Com- it's totally fear. And the things that parents are getting, new parents are getting, not only from the medical community, but we're talking about they come home and the things that are said to them by friends and family. You know, these parents need even more supports because of that. So, so let's say someone um, just got a diagnosis or or just had a child with Down syndrome, and they they have a Gigi's Playhouse near them. Um, and they walk in, what kind of things can Gigi's Playhouse offer them for supports? Yes. Well, congratulations. That's the first thing you're going to hear is congratulations when you walk in the door. And and the vibe at Gigi's, like, Gigi's like walking into awesomeness. You know, you walk into energy. We always have music on. We never want that mom to walk into a cold, sterile environment. Because you know what? She's walking in. And, you know, she's taken on a 24-7 lifetime diagnosis. So we we want her. She might not be ready to talk right when she walks in. She might need to take it in. So we really like to have that music on. We like to have a kind of a relaxed atmosphere where she doesn't feel like now I have to share my soul. You know what I mean? I have to talk about that. Like, you know what? Get the other kids situated. There's always some, you know, we're very family driven. So it's all about the siblings, too. There's a ball pit. There's a gym. There's things to do everywhere in a playhouse. Everybody wants to be in a playhouse. But then there's also your learning labs where you'll do your one-on-one tutoring in literacy and math, or will you do your speech therapy, your handwriting. Um, We've got Gigi University, which is for career skills. We've got um, a career training center, which is a store that has a a storefront in it where you can go get gelato or coffee. And, And these families can come in and get a vision of, of what their life can be. They, they're going to learn when they walk in the doors from prenatal diagnosis through career skills, we make a lifetime commitment to our families and they will never be alone. And I think that's such an important piece because like the way people have described it, you know, when they've come in, moms will, will say, you know what, it, it's, and mostly because of that lack of understanding that you guys were talking about, that I just, I, you know, I feel like I've been out on an island. I like, I feel like I've I had this baby and I'm, I've been like on this island and now I'm coming into Gigi's and it's like a whole new world is opening up for me. Like that was, you know, that was my bridge to get in there, but they're almost fearful to come in for the first time, you know, cause you, you are, it's, you're getting outside of your bubble of, I'm just going to protect and hold this baby and do, you know, and, and you're going, I'm, this is it. This is, I'm accepting this, this diagnosis and what it's going to be. And then they're always like, why didn't I come the first day? And some do, some come straight from the hospital. Some come, when they're pregnant, some come later, some come not till they're two years old, you know, at all different times in life, you know, they come at all different times, but whenever they do, we have programming for every single age group, every age group, a fitness program, whatever it is, all different. And like our GG fit is everything from infants, because we know we have to build that core so that they can get the air out to be able to speak our GG fit. I mean, GG fit um, class goes infant, toddler, school age, teen, adult, and even caretaker. So we hit every different part of the family and the kids are there. You know, the siblings are there. They're making lifelong friends. It's really a magical place. So when I, when I, that, that's the, the feeling you kind of get in there and then you just, you know, you're never going to be alone. And I'm, I'm trying right now to, to capture that in our virtual playhouse. So we have our virtual playhouse now um, that's serving families all over the country, but also all over the world. And to capture that same feeling, that same hug, that same 
energy that you get when you walk in a GG. So we're finding what we need to be doing. That is also be, be talking to people in their own language. We have a lot of Indian families. We have um, a lot of Spanish speaking families. I just got back from our two Mexico locations last week and they're amazing. They do more program hours at that location than any other playhouse in the Gigi's network because those families have nothing. So they travel for three, four hours to get to their Gigi's. But then when they're there, they get speech therapy. They get literacy tutoring. They do handwriting or, you know, for the adults, they're doing career skills or they're doing fitness. They're doing Taekwondo or whatever it is that they're doing. But they're there for a longer amount of time because that amazing team at our Mexico location knows how, how far those families have come to get there. So they they get they give you when you walk in like a passport and on your passport to tell you where you're going today and you're going to go to literacy first and you're going to go here and just making the most out of that time because they won't get it if they don't get it at Gigi. And so we just opened a second location there in San Juan del Rio. So we got to see that and just the gratitude of the families and in a culture where, you know, many cultures don't accept disabilities, Down syndrome especially. And watching the communities now 10 years later since we opened, embracing it, watching the dads come out because, you know, before it was the moms would do it, the watching now the celebration and the voice of the dads. So it's really cool to watch. Um, to watch what happens when you can change that cultural, just shift it a little bit and, and bring that acceptance in. So that location will actually be hosting our Spanish speaking um, groups on our virtual playoffs. So we hope to be able to, through our virtual playoffs, get to those families who don't have anything, but still get that same vibe, that same energy. I want to use AI to kind of put it together to have like, you know, a bopping Nancy and Gigi on the page when you walk on or something. <laughs> Something, something just really to keep that energy and vibe and to make sure that these families know that they'll never be alone. Just having literary training and handwriting and your math supports and tutoring, that sends the message that, yeah, your kids can, they just need supports. Absolutely. My typical kids needed help, but they all had tutors. That's what I don't understand. Like, why do we think our kids are not going to need tutors? My typical kids needed tutors. And that's okay. Do it. Take the time. Invest in your children. I, you know what I mean? I invested in my other ones. Of course, I'm going to invest in her. And I'm telling you, the way she reads, the, the way Gigi reads now, the way she, and she's still in the literacy program. I'm never taking her out of that. I'm like, it's free. It's every week. Somebody else. And she's with a tutor. Who's, why is that tutor there? Because she wants to teach and help people. Thank you, God. So Gigi gets to go, and anybody who's in that tutor gets to go meet with somebody besides family or mom or, you know what I mean, who, and and impress them with her skills, you know, and, and it's just, it's awesome. I, I will take advantage of Gigi's programs is forever, and her reading gets better and better. Her articulation, it helps in her speech, it helps in everything that she does. I mean, she's going to be a lifelong learner. And I'm happy about that because, our, I, you know, with our kids, a lot of times you have, we know that repetition is everything. And it's it's a lot easier when someone else is doing that work for you sometimes. And then you can just reinforce it at home. Yeah. And like every kid, I mean, the, the, a lot of times we, our, our, our typical teenage daughter, you know, doesn't want to hear dad tell her again about certain things or mom tell her certain things. I mean, how many times do we see uh, one of our, you know, Sophia will go out and hear something that we've told her for a while, but it connects when someone else tells her. 100%. 100%. You do know why there's a separation, but there shouldn't be a separation. 
And I think it would bring so much ease to parents if society would stop telling us that there's a separation because there's not. Uh, no. Maybe, maybe Liam will achieve a goal a little bit later. Maybe it takes a little longer, but maybe it doesn't. Yeah. That's the weight. When you talk about lifting, lifting Gigi when she was just a baby and feeling that weight, that's the, like you felt the weight. I don't think they much feel the weight, like, but you felt the weight and it's the weight yeah. that, that weight that is, that tells you that it should be different. But you know, that's the, the thing is to change that message. Cause you get here and you're like, well, it should be, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same. And honestly, sometimes you can tell that to parents, new parents, and they look at you like, you're just saying that to be nice, right. but it is totally. the same when you get, there's a certain place that you get to and you go, oh my gosh, I've been putting so much energy into feeding that, what was fed to me and getting that, keeping that machine going, but it's not, maybe it's a little, uh, it, it looks different, but aren't we told that about every child, every child, it looks different. There's no pattern for the same child ever. So if we could go back and just give that message, just keep going. And when you get someplace, just like you do with your neurotypical child, be there then, and then figure it out don't just have them carry all these might happens their whole life. And those might happens are, are the weight that is on them because it's, it's restricting them. It's pushing them down. It's, it's telling the schools that they're not going to be capable of keeping them in that classroom or where they need to be. I said, you know, and my, and my kids too were like, mom, please don't let her, don't let her go to, don't, don't let her go to Barrington high school, my high school, which is a very nice high school. I've been a nice, you know, and, and he was like, they're like the kids, especially they're never with the rest of the population. They're never with everybody else. We teach typical kids to stay away from our kids mm -hmm. because we keep them away from our kids. We put them in other classrooms. They don't start out that way. You know, that they're taught that, oh, don't go around those kids. Like those are the kids they're separated over there. Cause that's where they belong somewhere else. Not near us. What the, what is that? I mean, that messaging yeah. alone, I imply, I remember when Gigi was a freshman and they were, she was doing the tour of, of the high school. I was with Bella, who was a junior. We were just kind of hanging around watching her do the tour with, it was freshman day. So it was, you know, the, all, so she was with the A through G. So all the kids that were freshmen coming in. And I remember we're kind of hanging, hanging, you know, around in the back, just listening to what the tour was and what things were going to be like. And the kid who's given the tour, who's a good boy, he's just, he's a senior. So he gets to give the tour. He's given the tour and he goes, oh, and this is, this is like, this is like the social services. Like it's where kids with special, you guys will never need this hallway. Don't even, don't worry about this. And he kept on. That was the tour of where the kids with special needs are. And, and literally I go, Bella's like, mom, please, mom, please, please, mom, mom, please don't, don't not, not now, not now, like, this is my school, like, please don't, and again, that was just a kid, and that's what the school taught him, that he doesn't belong near that hallway, or near those kids who are in there, which is so disheartening, and so sad, because this was a good boy, you know, you're not giving those tours unless you're on a roll, and doing great things, you know, like, he, he was a good kid, but he was taught that he didn't belong with those kids. How sad is that? But what does that do to him? If or any child who has a learning difference, who has any needs, has that need because 
special education IEPs 504s are not just for the extra chromosome. Actually, if you don't have that diagnosis, it's really hard just so you know, it's really hard to get approved for a 504 or an IEP. You have to do all of those same assessments that they push on us. Like a, a neurotypical person has to fight to get a diagnosis. So I see where that machine is like, you don't, they send the message, you don't want to be there. So if any kid has a need, they don't ask for the help because of the stigma it, it gets you twofold because one, it's creating a, a, a society who judges themselves, who sees differences as just the worst thing ever, never accepting that we're all different. And we also don't get help. We don't get help for, for, we don't get help for mental health. We don't get help for any, any kind of difference. There's just like, a, and, and so that child, that, that great kid, you don't know, you don't know what he needs, but he just knows you don't go down that hall. Don't go down there. Yeah. But he may need to walk down that hall. Right. And you don't know, you don't know the gifts that are down that that's hall. That's the shame that's put on it. Yeah. Right. And then, then you look at individuals with, uh, t- different needs and with different diagnoses and it's just it create it's just like this giant cesspool that it creates no it, it does it create and plus that kid's never going to interact with an adult or child with down syndrome in an educational setting right maybe in, in another way but not in where you would put emphasis and focus like education or the workforce. And then we, we understand why our kids aren't getting hired for jobs or thought of as being, you know, in a workforce, because this good kid's going to maybe be an employer one day or an a empl- teacher. Yeah. We, we just need to change the entire uh, thought process of, of how our society thinks about learning differences. It's, it's, uh, or differences, period. differences, differences, yeah. period, just period. Um, so what did you do? Did you say anything? I did, not to him. I mean, you know, what was what was it going to be for him? And believe me, I've I've been saying it with the school. Like, they see that the kids should be separated. That's just the way it is. That's that's where they're at. I mean, I've brought it up. I I told them what had happened. They of course apologized and said, well, you know, we'll make sure that when we teach the tour, that we tell what the, you know, what too late for that because it's not the tour. It's him being in school the last three years in this school and you keeping everybody separate over there. So it's not the tour. It was it was the way he's been taught through your school to just separate and not have those kids and not be near those kids. And I, I try, I've done, I still try with the schools. It's just, it's, it's like, I don't know how we're going to make that change. We started at GG's. We started Generation G back in like 2014. Generation G is a conscious decision to be better every single day. Be generous, be kind, be accepting. Simple to do. You put a G in your hand with a heart on it, post it on social media. It's a simple thing. You take the pledge with your other children, with your kids. Take the pledge at IAcceptYou.org. We try to get families. We try to get schools together to do this. We have um, Gen G clubs in a lot of the high schools. My, my daughter, Bella, then started the Gen G club at Barrington High School to try to bring all the kids together, which helps a little bit. Um, but it's all, you know, it only helps the people that you can get to listen. You know what I mean? They all signed the pledge, which was great. So she did have a nice, they did have a nice base. I think the kids did a good job. But again, this is also the administration and what they're showing those kids. 
I think administration forgets that discrimination, especially against anybody because they have a disability, is still discrimination. It's discrimination, but it's discrimination in a big way. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, and also uh, the law is FAPE. I mean, the civil right. And what happens is that the if you get an administration that's on the same on on board with the same message, then they pretend that that other stuff is the opinion and theirs is the fact, but in fact, their stance is opinion and the other stuff is a civil right. So I, I'm just waiting. There will be a time when these schools are held accountable. Yeah, because, because you're like, oh, this is a good school, right? We we came from the same place. Hey, but you can't in a great fight every district. fight. You know what I mean? You you yourself cannot fight every fight, and you're doing all of this stuff that's great for the community, and then you go into this situation. But don't you, as a parent, go? I need to fight this fight too, and then you feel a little bit of guilt, and then you feel like you failed in some way. But we, we, that's why as a, an entire community and society and allies, we need to start flipping the narrative. We need to have allies that take over and like you do, like if your friend is sick and you're healthy, you step in and you go, let me make you a meal. Let me clean your house. Let me walk your dog. Well, we need allies to come in and go, Hey, you're fighting, you're doing this. You're changing the narrative. Let me, let me walk your dog. Right. Let me, let me make, let me help you. And that, that is what we need is allies to, to also be on board to, to, to change the message in their children. So when their children do that tour, they can go, excuse me, but that doesn't seem right. Can I ask you, was Gigi on that tour when he said that? She was on that tour. (laughs) He obviously wasn't paying attention to who was on He doesn't. She didn't know that that was her hallway. She didn't know that that I was love where it. things were going to be. She thought she was going to be in the whole school like everybody else because that was the tour she was on. Right. She didn't know that she was going to be one of the ones in that hallway. But isn't that an example? He doesn't see Gigi as a different hallway. Yeah, he didn't see it. Right. Gigi, he doesn't even know what he's talking about when he says this. Right. Is, like he has absolutely no idea because there's there's G, there's Gigi, right? Right. If, if there was inclusion probably starting in, in elementary school for him, his, his idea of when he would have been on that tour and the way he talked about that hallway would be completely different. There might not be a hallway. Yeah, there may not be a hallway, right? It shouldn't be a hallway. No. It should it be, be like... Hallway. You guys, it, it's... I'm telling you, I, I'm really... My son, Franco, who's, who's now... Ironically, he's the one who drew... When he was six years old, he drew the very first Gigi's Playhouse logo. Uh-huh. And I know, isn't that crazy? And we still use parts of it. We still use the Gigi's Playhouse. But he, when he drew it, they're all it's four kids holding hands like this. They have G's on their shirts, the first original logo. And now, ironically, he works and does um, advocacy and marketing for us. And I'm telling you, that kid might be the one who could do what we're talking about. That generation, I shouldn't say him, but maybe that generation could be the one because he so gets it and he watched it as a sibling and just they were the ones that said, please don't ever go to school, you know, just. And it wasn't just there. It's just it's just the way it is here. You know, just it's just the expectation. It's kind of the way things are. So when I listen to you guys talk, I pray it's going to like he's because he's seeing it more now. And it's infuriating because now he's working on the jobs for these adults. And, and I'm telling you, I don't know that we have somebody who believes in people with Down syndrome more than he does. That kid is the he's been he started our store, our career training center. When he was 14, he was training these guys to do amazing things. You know, he's he is all in. And, and now seeing where our world is at, like how diversity, equity, and inclusion doesn't mean disability is really frustrating. When things happen to our kids, no media, no nothing, but it happens to 
a race. It happens to um, transgender. It happens to, you know, a, a di cultural, different cultural makeup. It's everywhere. And then it's a hate crime, but it happens to people with disabilities. Things, terrible things are happening to our, our kids, you guys. I, and I, I don't always put it out there because it comes to me, unfortunately. And sometimes I want to know, sometimes I don't. But most recently, I, I don't know if you hear about the girl, they threw, the, they threw bleach in her eyes. They threw oh. bleach in her eyes when she was walking her dog. She's 20 years old. No, I didn't hear that. And beat her up. And then said, you know, if, if you tell anything, you know, if you tell your mom, I'm going to beat you up more. You know, like it, there's going to be repercussions. So she didn't say anything. And the next morning when she woke up, she went right to bed and she couldn't open her eyes. Well, obviously. So that mom instantly took her to the doctor and the doctor is like, um, wait, what happened here? She said, I don't know. I think it's conjunctivitis. You know, she's got pink. It's a really bad case of pink. And the doctor goes, mom, you need to leave the room. These are chemical burns. Mm. I need to know what happened to this girl. And once the girl was alone, she told him how, you know, the lady threw the bleach in her eyes and he, she had uh, bruising on her neck and where's other things that happened. So of course the doctor called the police. There wasn't an arrest. There wasn't a news story. They called the local news. Can you imagine? That's not a hate crime because this girl wears her diagnosis on her face. She's a victim and you, we're doing nothing about this. Like, no, not okay. And it's not a story. If that was any other marginalized group, there would have been hell to pay. Yeah, we talk about that in education too, you know, when, you know, it's like. <laughs> this is, yeah, this, yeah, but this is what I think. You said it. If it was another marginalized group, they use social media. We are the voice of our children. Yes. And we exactly have it. already been fed. One, we've been fed so much fear. Two, when someone threatens our child, we actually buy into that threat, but we propagate the threat and enable it by not putting those people as accountable. And that's one of the things that I, I'm, why are we so polite? Why, why do we, I believe, I believe in peace. I believe in kindness and empathy and compassion. And we can do that gently, but we can also be fierce. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be a choice. We, we can continue to be good humans and make people accountable make our son was denied a civil right to an education told like he didn't receive an education at a very nice school. Like we're not, we're just not going to uphold fate or idea. We're just not going to do it. Were no they, consequences. None, not from the district, nothing, but we yeah, imagine you did that to any other marginalized group. Just even try it. Try it. Yeah. But we, we honestly, we had been working, we were tired, we were exhausted. And we, and then we go, we have to make a choice in that one moment. We either put all our energy into this negative, horrible stuff, or continue to put our energy into our child who still needs it. Like our child still needed the support. We needed to find a different placement. We needed to make sure he was receiving his education every day. So we sat with him. We didn't have additional time to fight the fight. That's where I allies come in. Also, jump on social media. I mean, you're going to have some, what are those people that say bad things? You're going to have some of those people follow you. Trolls, yeah. But oh, trolls. trolls, you're going to have some <laughs> trolls, but they belong under a bridge. We've read Rumpelstiltskin, but you're going to also have a lot of people who go, oh, that's wrong. And, and this is the generation. This is the yeah, generation, generation of change. We'll stand up. Yeah. And I think if you look, we have, I like on that, I accept you.org page. I do share stories of the of the bad stuff for people who choose to watch. You know what I mean? I do say it I, in my newsletters. 
Um, and sometimes, you know, the hard part for me is it's for those new parents that you don't want them traumatized. But then again, you know what I mean? The word has to get out. So there, there's like this fine line of do you tell? Because they are also the army that can stop this. But then again, I want to protect them from it. But you know what? It's out there. It's it's unfortunately the, the way the world is. So on our acceptyou.org page, we do have um, for people who choose to want to know what's happening, we're putting some of the stories up that happen. Well, that's where, you know, allies really But you help, need you allies. Know? That needs to be on Instagram. That needs to be on Facebook. That needs to be yeah, everywhere so people someone, see a ma- it. A marginalized group being harassed. I mean, I'll stand up and, and man, I got 10 people behind me going, yeah, that's not right. And you get more of this, oh, that's too bad or something, or I'm not going to get involved. or what. But it's scary. It's I won't deny it's scary. And honestly, I, I think about any time that I have told anyone about Liam's denial of an education. Like, why did you change schools? Your carpenter is such a great school. Well, they denied him his education. They violated his civil right to an education. They denied him his supports. They didn't uphold his IEP. They are astounded. They're astounded, but they but there's not a lot of activity to to fight. Like you also had this idea of like, but my kids going to school. I have this idea of how great of a school it is. I'm not really gonna like be aggressive about changing something it's because not my fight. Yes. I feel like the school's so great, right? It's so great. But think about any fight, any fight that has change, anything, women's rights, right? Anything that has had change. It we need to be persistent in telling the stories. Like we like we need to be honest. Like we don't need to be covering up. Yeah, okay, maybe we don't need to just be like I know sometimes I feel like I'm just like I can walk down Ventura and past Carpenter Street where the school is and be like, they are horrible violators of a civil right. But then part of me goes, why not, Lori? Why not? Why not? When when people ask me, did your kid go to Carpenter? Why not? Instead of going, well, they're great for neurotypicals. They're not great for neurotypicals because they propagate segregation. That's what they do. And you call it, you call it what it is and allow, allow others to come to the same conclusion, allow others to be empowered by knowledge. And I really do believe if we, if we start to uncover and stop covering up for the injustice, like someone threw bleach in my daughter's eyes. This is the video I have. This is the threat they gave. If anything else, I've gone to the police, but they won't help me. Now it's a liability on the police department. Let them be, let them, you speak and speak now and keep speaking until the people go, whoa, 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 because nobody wants to look bad. Nobody wants to look bad and they will start to make changes because they have to make changes. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Make them. We, we have to make it a hate crime. I'm telling you, like I said to me, if that was cultural, if that was race, if that was gender, that would have been a hate crime. By definition, it's a hate crime. And and that they just don't they're pretending it. that it's not a hate crime. Yes, I, I could. I I call this these this mom who's now so afraid the state will just that they're going to take her kid that she's like it's okay it's okay. I go no, I, I have lawyers. I have people. We can do this. But somebody we got to stand up and take this stand and let people see it won't be tolerated and that it would be a hate crime. It is a hate crime. It is by definition a hate crime. They're just trying to make you believe that it's not. Just just like when you sat in your IEP. It is fape and idea. They're just trying to make you pretend that it's not. And I'm telling you, it's just social media. We need to jump on like 
we just need to jump on. We have these tools at hand that bring attention. And you said it, the mom is afraid. These parents, us, we have been, we have been fed fear. Every step of the way. We, I had, I had a regional center officer one time make me think that because what they, in order to deny a service they were denying, well, if you say that, they'll take your child. And I was like, I like, you can't just, first of all, do you know how much, how hard it is to take a child? Do you know what you have to prove? And these people that are so filled with hate are in the wrong positions. They shouldn't be teachers. They shouldn't be administrators. They shouldn't be in places of power. And and you, you're right. You get canceled. You lose your job if you say something racist. You lose your job if you go against any marginalized group and they need to begin to lose their jobs and be held accountable for the same, the same violations of any individual who has any disability because it is, although not in society, by law, it does hold the same weight by law. That's just yeah. how it is. Um, but Gigi's Playhouse, <laughs> just like we <laughs> yeah, got how do so, we transition back? No, to- we, we go, well, you, because you are, you well, are making the difference. I think we're difference. all very passionate we're about very this. We're very passionate. Yes. Totally. No, I'm so glad to know you guys. I can't wait to tell Franco that, that, you know, wherever we can get more ammunition and talk to more people with more that that believe this in, in exactly the way that you do. That's that's getting all those powerhouses together. And that's how we create that change. You know, like, because like for us, we are so focused on, I mean, we, we serve over 30,000 families directly with free programs. So whether it's whatever it is. So it's always like we're in that day-to-day grind of the best programs and giving people what they need and blah, blah, blah. But th- this is another avenue to that because when we, our mission is to change the way the world sees Down syndrome and send a global message of acceptance for all. And that's all of that other part. You know, the programming is one piece, but this other the, this other piece is huge and something I so, so believe in. I'm like, I like, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I'm going to end up in jail because I've got the, I like, and I will, and I can't wait because then good, throw, put me in jail and maybe you will listen. I'm like, is it going to be me and Gigi doing a food strike? Am I going to go sit on someone's, you know, like, when Netflix had, like, there was so many it, thing, so many times that I was fighting these fights going, how is this a fight? Why is there not more people outraged? Like, I'm not understanding this at all. So I, I said, it's going to take me going to jail. And I will. I could care less. Like, like with my big mouth doing something, telling the wrong person off at the wrong time. or But there, there's got to be something to give these guys a voice. And, and you're so right. Because I was sitting there in... Um, June and there was the dis- I'm in Chicago and the, there was the big huge parade. I'm like, damn! I mean, it was awesome. The parade was it was the dis or the, it was the I'm uh, not disability pride. It was the pride mm-hmm. LGBTQ pride parade. I'm like, how do they get to close down the whole city? You know, we were all like, I'm like, how can I do this for disability? I got like all excited looking at. It. I'm like, you know what? It's because, like you said, that population of people is in corporate America speaking for themselves. They're in the workforce asking their bosses to do these things. Now, our people with disabilities are not there. We're just out there trying to be their voice. So that's why we don't have the strength to have that big, huge parade. I want that parade so bad. Then I'm like, well, it's Disability Pride Month next month, you know, in July. I'm like, maybe we can do a, you know, I want to shut down Chicago for a parade for or for disabilities. I want the the whole city to celebrate with me. I'm going to tell you, the difference is look at the history of LGBTQ and what they gave. Look at how their children were killed, 
how they were assassinated for fighting for fighting who they for being able to be who they are, right? And they get and they get to be that voice. Yeah, how do we teach adults with Down syndrome to be self advocates? Well, I well, first of all, to be self advocates, that you know, our children need to be seen as equal by their families. Yeah. That means yeah. when your doctor comes in and tells you some garbage, say, thank you very much. Is there somebody else I can talk to because I don't like your opinion or you know, that's very nice for you. You're wrong. You can leave now. Um, and you can say that they just have a degree. It's a practice. It's not a perfect. Say it that nobody, they don't hold any power over you. So start speaking because they wouldn't say that to the mother of a neurotypical child. And then like, stop, like we need to stop that message of fear being just fed and propagated in the schools, in society. But the thing is, is every marginalized group has had to fight. They've had to fight really, really hard. And they've, they've gone up against all of those things. They've had to, maybe they, um, by biology have a voice. Maybe they don't, you know, they haven't had to like get their, get their voice and have speech therapy for their voice, but they've, but their voice has been silenced. Women have been silenced, uh, marginalized group, different races, different, like LGBTQ, everybody, like it's just, you follow that and you look, you say you're going to end up in jail sometime in this fight. And if you do, you look (laughs) a lot of great people have been arrested fighting for what's right. We're, uh, we're out here at Warner Brothers and they're striking, right? And we're striking. We're striking because we're finally using our voice. And like Brian Cranston said, we won't let, they won't, we won't, we'll no longer let them take our dignity. And that is really something that this community can actually say too, because they're taking our community's dignity by telling us that we're not equal. But, but the, you know, they put out a little sign that said, hey, it's violation of, uh, sound ordinance, noise ordinance. Don't honk your horn. You know how many res- people responded from fear and didn't honk? I bet a lot of people did because it's fear. So what happens is when you start to fight for what you want to fight for, other people are going to try to make you fear and th- and think a different way. And, and I feel like our marginalized, like ironically, individuals with disabilities fall across all marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our marginalized groups help us, like are probably like, they're the ones because they've been a victim too. Yeah. So they help GGs. You know what I mean? The LGBTQ. Like they are huge supporters of ours and, and great friends of ours. A lot of our families, you know, they we fall across every group. So I feel like the individual um, marginalized groups are love us and we love them. But it's the other people that don't love all of us. You know what I mean? Well, and it takes that group of people that aren't affiliated with with the, that marginalized group, like, you know, the women's, you brought up the, the women's movement. It took a lot of men to be allies with the women for change to actually happen for the civil rights group. It took a lot of people that weren't black to ally, to make a movement. We need people that aren't affiliated with quote unquote, our community. I mean, we're all community, right? But we just need the support of everyone. And that's what's really going to make a change. But we need to support we also need to support everyone. And, yeah. and and you said that like we're across every marginalized group. We are. But this is what I thought of is hasn't having Gigi made you a better human? Don't you 100. walk, don't you walk down totally. the street and if 
any marginalized group, even if it's not a group, if any human, like I'm in the grocery store, if someone is rude to someone else or just like is using this invisible power to make someone yeah. small, I will stand up for that well, person. Well, you become an advocate for all. You become an advocate for every human. Everybody. Every yep. single human. And that is what they do. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you when you receive the diagnosis, you are going to become a, a firebomb of a human. I don't know what humanity path you've been on right now, but that is about to change. And if you want to find out what your purpose is, it's, it's about to become just so beyond because like I'm, I might've been kind, I might've been compassionate and empathetic, but I now I understand, I understand what it means to have the, uh, the unthink, like a civil right denied that is unthinkable to a lot of people. And because I know it's real, I stand up for everyone. I stand up for everyone because people will go, well, that's probably not what it is. No, it is what it is because it does happen. But hasn't, hasn't Gigi just made you this person who c commits your life to changing the path for other people? 100% you're making a change and you probably wouldn't have done it if you wouldn't have had Gigi. No, because you can't do it in that same place like you were talking about. Like if you weren't Liam's mom, you wouldn't be able to do it in the same way and as passionately. No way. I thank God every day. I'm trying to think this morning. I'm like, I said, thank you to God for something. I, I, I don't even know what it was. And I was like, because she makes me see things the right way. She makes me see life in a different way, makes me a protector, like you said, like anybody, I, like I am in for the fight. You, are, are you kidding me right now? Like, like you said, you see someone at the store, you're like, I'm instantly in. It doesn't matter where it is, what's happening. I am in. Well, uh, do you mind if I move on, just change a little bit and, and just ask you, it was a question I want to ask, what's the future of Gigi's? We've heard so much about the programs for up to three and then, you know, middle life and adult life. What's, what's Gigi's future look like? The Gigi's Playhouse. Gigi's Playhouse. Yes. Um, I would say, I really think our way forward that's really going to help is our virtual, the virtual playhouse and being an interactive, safe place, whether it's for inner cities, rural or other countries. I really think that that's, that's, um, where I'm going to be doing a lot of focusing on. I, you know, we, I, I know how to scale in the U.S. I know how to help in the U.S. And again, we never push into a market. We all, people come to us, they want to do these things and that's how a Gigi's Pie House is born. And then we give them the model and, and, and help them do it. But I do think um, helping in areas that, again, we're talking about these marginalized groups. There's many marginalized groups that haven't been given what um, other people have because Gigi's Playhouse used to be a place only. And now that it will be a virtual space, it will be there for everybody where everybody can get served. And like I said, in Mexico, they drive four hours to have to get to a playhouse. We want to be able to serve them with that same magical experience through our interactive virtual playhouse. So I think a big focus of it will be on future um, of where tech can take us, where AI can take us. Um, and I do think there's still a need in, in areas to have that home base. I would love for um, the playhouses, you know, the virtual playhouse to be serving people worldwide, but they still, everybody would still have that home base to still be able to provide playhouses all over the country and all over the world uh, where people can feel safe and grow and learn and share those 
positive experiences and the, the high expectations. You know, so many times, like like you were talking about, like when they tell you, you know, when 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 people say you're going to, you know, be nothing, you can make yourself be nothing. You know, when people say, someone told Gigi the other day, they were, you know, she works out all the time, and um, and they were like, Gigi, you know what? It's time for you to start running. You got to do a five k. Like you can run you can run miles, like you can be running. And she goes, she goes, oh, I can't do that. And and her trainer goes, well, can't isn't in your vocabulary then. She goes, well, then I won't do it. She just, <laughs> she just knows she doesn't want to. She's not a runner and that's not her thing. But putting those high expectations, I, I know I love that. She was like, okay, well then I just won't. Okay, so how's that? I don't want to run. I'm not a runner. And I get that. So I know where she was coming from. But I think putting the, um, Gigi puts that high expectation and the sky's the limit into those families that were told their kids were going to be less than that are, you know, they, they put our kids on that separate chart. I'm like, don't you dare put me on a Down syndrome chart. Like where is she at? Is she healthy? I don't need to know that where her weight falls against someone else. I mean, to me, developmental milestones, all that stuff is, you know, with Gigi's, we do not work on developmental milestones. Our metrics are all based on purposeful progressions. You started here. We need you to get here. Whether it's, reading one more word, doing one more sit-up, whatever it is, just do a little better than you did the day before. That's all we ask. That's what Gigi's is. That's what and every day you grow and every day you're celebrated. So I would just still love, even though the virtual playoffs is a very big focus and there, there's a lot of need in other places, I think that we still need that hub for them to be able to get there. So I've got a lot of work to do, you guys. <laughs> that kind of answers that um, that question I kind of posed at the beginning of that listener that lives in, in Alabama that was looking for uh, supports, you know, at least that virtual aspect of Gigi's Playhouse could yes. could maybe bridge a gap there. And there's also the possibility of reaching out and working to open your own Gigi's in Alabama, Playhouse. Right. That's how you yeah. make the, you know, if that's a, if that's a possibility, that's all of that. We'll, we'll leave the links on the show notes. And people are usually surprised when they when they do it because they, they'll usually find out there's more people in your area that are looking to do the same thing. And when we start connecting those people, and most of them are connectors themselves by even by just even doing the outreach. And that's when like a team begins to form because a lot of times there's places that that warrant a brick and mortar that, that they should have them, but they don't have the right leader in place. Or they don't, you know, that they, they don't have the like a diverse board or they don't have the right, you know, so it's a matter of just building that. So Birmingham, they might even be in a good place right now that they're, they could be starting and we don't even know. And, and I'm not even, I don't know, but we've got a growth team that handles all that, but um, they could just, even if they just hook them up with other like-minded people, that's great. Whether they find something there or they start something on their own. It's just a matter of that they're, that they're able to feel that connection with, with someone and know that they're not alone. I think that's always the most important thing. I just want that to set there for a minute so that people can hear that. And connection really matters. So everything is possible, right? Everything is possible, just like Gigi said. Well, I just don't, <laughs> I just don't want to. And that's okay too. I don't want to. Yeah, I love, I love one, her trainer, for who said, you can that because that's who we need. And those are the people we need in our kids' life. And those are the only people we let in our lives as well, right? Because totally. then you start to look around and go, who, what toxic stuff is, am I allowing? Yeah. I have to know, did she go to that high school? She did. And how'd that go? Well, it went okay. The thing is with the high school, it's the teachers are awesome. 
it's the administration, the, the teacher's hands are tied. They know it and their hands are tied. So they did great work with her. So thank you, God, for that. Like, I, I'm, I'm grateful for what those teachers did, even though they were bound and tied by what the administration was doing. She still had really good people who cared about her, who loved her. Um, they, they couldn't change what the school didn't want to do. I, you know, they weren't going to put her in a science class, even though, like, when she started middle school, this, this is the district I'm in, and it's a beautiful district. I live in a nice district. She started middle school, so she was, and she was the first one in second grade. She knew all of her state capitals. She knew all of the planet. You know, she always, she was, she was a learner, and she's a visual learner. And I always ask them to teach her the way she learns, and she will learn. And we do these educator symposiums to help our teachers learn the way our kids learn, and they will be successful. It's awesome. And and so, anyways, we go to get into um, middle school, and I go to the IEP meeting, and 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 the guy goes, so yeah, we'll we'll have her in. Um, in, in her life skills, I'm like, wait, she's going into sixth grade. I go, I go, oh, well, and I see my principal go, oh God, he just put his hand down because he knew I was about to blow. I go, oh, life skills. Hmm. I don't remember that for my other children. What, what does that look like? And they go, oh, well, that's what should be like um, emptying the recycling bins and washing windows. I swear to God, you guys, that's what they said. I go, um, when did she show you? She's not capable of learning academics. What are you doing? I don't understand what's happening. This is just, well, this is how we do it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, well, she will not be washing anyone's windows but mine and not changing any recycling bin. Out, are you out of your mind? But that is how they treat the kids with special needs. Sixth grade. I go, she's 11. When did she show you she stopped learning? Terrible. I still can't. I can't say how many schools do that. Life skills in sixth grade. It makes well, my head want to like explode. Because And it does, and it's still happening. But here, I want parents who've been offered life skills in sixth grade to know that the burden on the not education of your child, the non-education of your child, the burden lays on the school. And it isn't your child can't learn, so we're going to have her take out the recycling. You know what? Give your janitor more hours because they need them. Okay? Yes. Um, it's not we can't, so this we're, we're not going to. It is... Well, if you can't, one, they need to find a way, unless you sign off on it, which they will trick you into doing if you're not aware of this. They must either pay someone to educate your child or figure out how to do it. If they can't figure it out, and parents, please do this in your IEPs, this is what we're going to do. Okay, well, how are you going to, this is my evidence shows she's still learning. So how are you going to, you don't think she can learn science? Well, how do you propose that you're going to teach her science? You tell me what supports you're going to implement. You tell me what you are going to do because the responsibility is not on the parent. It's on the educator. Mm -hmm. Please know it's your civil right to an education. If they refuse, they can pay. Well, they had to, because I wouldn't let her do functional field trips. I go, she doesn't need to go out every week and go eat and do keep her at school. Mm. And they were like, well, everyone's, I said, I don't care. I don't care what everyone's doing. I care about my daughter. You deal with I, those parents. I have to my... laugh about how confident they were about Gigi's skill or Gigi's skills of recycling or taking out the trash or washing windows. It's like, <laughs> what? you have my 11 year old. That's just the mentality that, that people have is like, well, they can do this. It's like that whole idea of like early on in our 
journey <laughs> we were told oh maybe liam will grow up and 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 bag groceries one day or something it's like this these are stock shelves or whatever it was and it's like first of all completely legitimate jobs but people why, work for those yeah, jobs why have you boxed him into this is the place he's gonna be it's just so odd yeah it's it's infuriating and the, the, they also do a coffee cart so on fridays friday mornings you take the teacher's coffee and snacks. oh this is gross i am not even i wish i could make it up Oh, I wish I could make it up. I'm not making it up. Not making it up. She wasn't allowed to do that either. No, good job. When I found out about it, I didn't even know about it. I found out about it from some, some she was talking about the, I go, what are you talking about? What coffee cart? My child is not giving any teacher who doesn't see their educate, their right to an education as equal. My child will not be serving them coffee. No way. No. But those things happen when you don't even know it. Like I found out on accident. Yeah. They do that. So parents need to be active in like, you can ask in your IEPs that you want a weekly update. These are things that you can, you can participate. It is actually yes. at the end of the IEP form. It asks you questions on the questionnaire. Do you feel like you're an active part? It is your right. Look it up on your district website. Which can I make one correction to something you said? You said, I live in a nice district. They're not very nice. We used to say that too. We used to say that. We live with, there's certain things that are about that district, but as far as any district that does not educate every child, every child. I guess every nice, marginalized nice should have group. to be in quotes because it's like, hey, you live in a, in a upper middle class neighborhood type of thing, a nice funded school, but we can see how these The funding does not go to our schools. students. Yeah. yeah. The funding does not go where it, First of all, where it's supposed to go. Where it's supposed to go. There's actually funding. It doesn't go where it's supposed to go because they get a lot of money. And you know what? Eventually, and yeah. I say it so many we times do. on our podcast, eventually someone's going to have a lawyer and schools are going to start to be sued for embezzlement. Yeah. Because if you take Where's the money. Where's money going? And our school, our Carpenter Community Charter took the money to educate our son, took the money for his supports. There was an, one entire year where he did not receive yeah, his where, resource. Where did that money go? So that is stealing. And eventually someone's going to have some free time and they're going to start suing districts who embezzle from the government. And I, I want to say that part of my journey, uh, because of all the negativity, I threw a lot of the baby out with the bathwater, like that list that we're given. I want parents to be able to look at it as a tool. Uh, you saw your district for what it is. You didn't really have a choice. And so you kept the baby with the bathwater. And I think I, I, that is what I would change on my journey. And, you know, parents, sometimes you're in a situation and you can be the biggest advocate, but you, you're in the situation where you are, right? And you can't make something into what it's not, but you can change it from within or you can change your journey. Like if you have a school district that doesn't believe in inclusion, just be where you are, but know you still have power in your child's life. You still have the power to, you can tell your kids, hey, this is a segregated school and this is wrong what they do, but you know what? You have some great teachers who believe in you. Or if their teachers don't believe in them, you say, I believe in you. And the most important thing is for you to believe in you. And it's not what I think you can do, but it's what you know you can do. And you prove yourself wrong when you don't think you can do it because I guarantee you can do more than you think you can. And if that's the message that we send our kids, they're honestly going to be out of school. 
and then they have they have their life ahead of them. And you just let them know that. And you be that message. And and that's one thing because I think that this journey carries a lot of guilt and it carries that weight. And we don't we don't have to. We don't have to carry, we don't have to. We see what's in front of us, we know it needs to change, and then we change it in the way that we can. And if we're all doing it, then we're gonna see the change, right? And that's just I just wanted to say I just wanted to say that because I know that there was a there was a lot of guilt when we left Liam's school. We felt like we had fa- we felt like we failed. We just we didn't we didn't change a darn thing with that school. But it's changing because you know what? Your son and all of his friends that know your daughter and all of your community are going to go out there and some of them are going to lead districts. Some of them are going to be totally. in politics. You know, they're going to be throughout the world and that's where we fight for inclusion. And that's how the world changes. Yeah, it's That's changing. how the world changes. It's changing. And it's changing. Gigi's Playhouse is changing it. That's right. I'm so happy that you're here. When I was reading on your bio and, and your mission and everything, I was like, yes, because we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. You know what? You know what, brother? You know what, best friend? That really hurt my heart because my child's able. My child's able, you know? And if that's not how you see them, that's you. But don't put that on me. And I find what I love about this journey is that the new parents don't get it diagnosis is how, um, one, how outstanding our kids are, but how they change the, their immediate and then in, in just so many ways, the world, they do change it in just a beautiful way that the world needs to be changed. And just, I look at your story, I see so many parents who have, you know, opened shops, created businesses, written songs, done all of these things that they would have never done with their life. They would have never done with their life without that extra chromosome. And the siblings too. I said, my kid, when people are like, oh my God, your kids are, I'm like, I could not have made my kids who they are today. They are who they are because of their sister. Yeah. And what she has taught all of us. And thank you God for that because it's, it's different. It is different. And, and their friends, you know, their friends who have, have grown up with her with, you know, as our crazy, you know, four teenagers all at once that like the house was just a madhouse all the time and them, you know, be growing up with Gigi. I mean, she's changed many lives just within our own family. That ripple effect of where that goes is just my hope of where our future is going to go. You said when you got the diagnosis, you were like, what have I done? Have I willed this? And totally. and that, but it was more of like a, what have I done? Mm-hmm. I think now you can look back and go, what did I do? Like, Aww. what have I done? that created this in my life. Just so people know, when you get a diagnosis, it's a naturally occurring chromosomal arrangement. We've just been made to believe it's something else. But the thing is, is that it is also an amazing gift that the world finds out one family at a time. What an amazing gift it is. Well, I'm glad you guys are out there spreading it too. I love it. It's awesome. I'm so glad I got to meet you. You're amazing. We're so grateful to have you today, and uh, thank you for all your advocacy, and and, uh, we'd love to talk to you again. Thanks so much for coming on. Yes. Well, you guys were amazing, and I have to tell you, I learned a lot in this session, and I I really, I I want, I can't wait for my son to hear this, because I think, um, Laura, you were so passionate about everything that you were talking about, and I love it. I think it's amazing, and I think we need to do more. So together, we're going to conquer it all, you guys. We got this. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. 
or visit our website, ifwenewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then.